This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Oh my god, we're back! Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, Intertrekkies. I am really excited to be back on the mic today, and I have some updates since it has been quite a while since we put out an episode. We are changing kind of our schedule, and our plan at this point is to do an episode per month. We're going to test that out. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the people who have been continuing to subscribe to our pod fan. Really, really appreciate your continued support. I just want to like let you know that we are unlikely to be doing more like bonus members only episodes. Yeah, not on I think not on a regular basis. I think probably there will be stuff we want to do a bonus episode for sometimes, but it'll really be bonus and not um, planned for. Yes. And so if you were subscribing to PodFan, and the only reason that you subscribed was for these like members-only episodes, um, we will not be hurt at all if you choose to end your membership. Mm-hmm. You are welcome to keep subscribing out of the goodness of your heart, but you will not get extra content. You will just be um, deciding to pay for the content that you are already getting. Exactly. Thanks again to those of you who are doing that. Anything else you want to add there, Ryan? Yeah. And I hope everyone's been doing well. It's been a rough summer, I think, um, between the pandemic and, um, you know, things in our country that really needed to get addressed, starting to get addressed, but not adequately. Um, it's been a It's been a lot to deal with. Also... We're recording this less than a week after Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away. Yeah. And my heart is broken. So. Yeah, I can't really talk about I can't talk about it. <laughs> Reasonable. So let's talk about Star Trek. Yay. <laughs> oh, I did want to let people know. Uh, since a few people have asked me that we will talk about the short treks, um, not, not the short treks. What am I trying to say? Uh, lower decks. Lower decks. Yes. We'll talk about lower decks. Um, not yet. Yeah. (laughs) Not yet, but, but we will, we will. We've been watching them. They're great. Um, if you haven't been watching them, you should. Agree. So what are we talking about today? Um, So today we're talking about what I think of as the Discovery pilot or the Discovery premiere. It's actually the first two episodes of Discovery and um, they sort of view as a single episode with like a title break in the middle. Like uh, the the plot continues. Yeah. And we're rewatching Discovery right now because we're getting excited for the new season. Yes. I am really excited for it. Going to be in the future. Going to be lots of hair journey. Going to be like, who's this new hottie person? You know, all the content. Um. Yes. Do you want to give a summary? <laughs> oh, very good idea. Yes. 
All right. <laughs> In brief, Michael Burnham and Captain Giorgio are on this planet and uh, they then get rescued by the Discovery. It's a very dramatic scene right after Giorgio says to Michael that she wants Burnham to consider becoming a captain. They get sent to check on this beacon at the edge of Starfleet space that has been destroyed. And it turns out that it's been destroyed by Klingons laying in wait. This figurehead, Takuvma, has been machinating to bring the warring houses of the Klingons together as the reincarnation of Kalish. And then there's a war. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> Before the war happens, Burnham is the one who goes and inspects this Klingon artifact that they, they don't know it's Klingon yet. Uh, she kills a Klingon. She gets knocked out. She's like radiation poisoning. She has this dream or memory about a traumatic experience that she had while she was training at the Vulcan school and was reminded about the Klingons. Yeah. She has the dream, she wakes up, and she's like, there are Klingons, and she spends, like, the rest of episode one trying to convince people that there are Klingons, even though she has a concussion, mm -hmm. then trying to convince them that they should follow her plan, shoot the Klingons first, because that's what the Vulcans did to prove to the Klingons that they should be taken seriously and not pushed around, and it worked for the Vulcans. She knows all this because Spock's dad is, like, her foster dad and they have a little skype call yep in which they confer captain Giorgio does not think this is a good idea saru our resident alien guy does not think this is a good idea and she's like cool i'm gonna mutiny but then she gets caught and she's put in the brig and then we we break for episode two episode two picks up in the same place the rest of starfleet has showed up a lot like the rest of the klingons houses have showed up there's a big space battle. It ends up being called the Battle of the Binaries. Meanwhile, Burnham is in peril because like all of the area in front of the brig has been blasted out of the ship. So she has this like waking dream. Sarek mind melds across space, activating some Katra, whatever. Yes. And convinces Michael to like fight for her life. So then she has a logic argument about ethics with the computer and rescues herself from the brig. And then gets up to the bridge just in time to offer to sacrifice herself instead of Captain Giorgio to deliver a torpedo to the Klingon ship. Oh, and then before that, they have a little heart to heart about like, Burnham, how come you suck now? And she's like, I don't know. You were always my mentor. We mean so much to each other. Yeah. And then they both go over. Yeah. And... Because they both go, Giorgio gets killed. Burnham kills Takuvma, making him a martyr. And the final scene is her on trial for mutiny, pleading guilty on all counts. It's pretty dark. Oh, and she's like sentenced to prison for the rest of her life. Yes. Lifetime imprisonment. It's a pretty confusing place to end um, what's essentially a pilot mm. because you're like okay our main character has just been told she's going to be in prison for the rest of her life so how is she going to be a starfleet officer 
and then the captain who we just got to know is dead um and also everything else that we know to be true about starfleet is kind of up in the air Mm-hmm. at this point that that it's a peace seeking entity but they're in the middle of a war exactly yeah they are i think that like in this episode or in this kind of sharp left turn that the season takes after these two episodes you really get like trek what we think of as the way that trek stories go turned upside down Mm-hmm. Um, and you see, like, you're immediately seeing some, like, Starfleet officers put into a very difficult position that they don't actually get out of with, like, deus ex machina or, like, somebody has, like, scienced magic their way out of this situation and, like, been able to talk to the Klingons into peace. And it, it's like, okay, we're in this reality where things that are hard are actually hard and people make mistakes yes yeah and so i think that leads that leads me into one of the many things that i wanted to talk about with this episode which is like the initial reaction i think to discovery was that is very untrek yeah 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 there were a lot of bad reactions to this and then it was made more fraught and more difficult to parse out because there were a lot of other people who were very excited about it um one because it's an exciting show um and two because it has a lot of representation that we have um a woman at the front of the series uh, that we have a black woman at the front of the series that the first captain we meet um is an asian woman uh that there are uh, aliens who are like second in command and have very prominent parts. Um, not that alien representation really matters in Star Trek, but it's a, it's a different bridge than we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, there was a lot of people who really liked that stuff and a lot of other people who really didn't like that stuff. And then a lot of other people who just really didn't like the shift in tone. And mm-hmm. then there were a lot of accusations of uh, racism Um Sometimes and rightfully sexism. and sometimes not. Yeah, and sexism. Uh, so it became very difficult to discuss the show on the internet for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm sure all of you already know, I'm just recapping. <laughs> um, but it, I think it's also part of why we resisted talking about it on here for a bit. Because we were just like, not sure we wanted to wade in to all that when there was so much more we could say about the old Trek that we knew and loved. Mm-hmm. Um and it seemed like more of a a journey to explain why the old Trek wasn't perfect at the time. Yeah, it's more, I think it's easier to point to things in the past and say, that was sexist, that was racist, that was problematic, and like not have to really deal with what's happening right now in the present. Um, but I think the other reason that I didn't want to talk about Discovery is that I was one of those people. I definitely hated it when it came out. (laughs) Um, and I think if I can like put myself back into what made me so upset about it, well, number one, there's like so much Klingons in massive amounts of makeup and the teeth and they're all speaking Klingon and the, uh, subtitles are in this really dumb font yes and 
I just like I got really angry about the Klingon stuff. I got really angry about the Klingon stuff, too, for all the reasons you said. And then also just because those scenes were so long Mm. and they weren't just doing the thing where they would speak Klingon and then they would switch to English. Like the whole scene was in Klingon for like seven minutes, like multiple times in the episode. And then I with my little ADD self like to like look at my phone or like read or like do a second thing. Mm kind of mm-hmm. while I watch TV and so it was hard for me to know what was happening because I wasn't reading the subtitles. Yes. So I had to keep rewinding it. I was like, what's happening? I don't know. Yes. Like instead of looking up when they'd start speaking English, my brain wouldn't even realize that people were talking for like a minute. It's it's so real and it's an I think that's actually another way in which it feels different from like classic Trek cuz classic Trek is very much ha- holding your hand throughout the story. They're kind of like recap what the story is about after every commercial break. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, there's nothing that's like mysterious really. Or if it's mysterious, like you find out pretty quickly what's happening. And in this, there's a lot of things that you just don't quite understand because you don't have all of the context until many episodes later. Yes. Yeah. And to the extent that the Klingons are very upfront about what their goals are, you might not have been listening. Yeah. Because you were thinking about how they don't look like Klingons <laughs> and how you couldn't read that weird font. Uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly. But upon rewatching, they're like really obvious. They're like, we are going to bring the humans here and then we are going to unite the houses and then we are going to make warrior's glory on the humans. You said you just said warrior's glory. They're love not it. hiding the ball. I love it. <laughs> glorious war. Warrior's glory. <laughs> amazing um yeah so so i think that all of those things like are distracting from what is really very deeply trek about this um and one one of the small moments that i just am stuck on and fucking love is uh at some point so when burnham's arguing that she should go like take a jetpack and inspect this artifact that their sensors can't read she uh saru says to her something along the lines of you can't be out there your dna will turn to noodles and then she replies noodles (laughs) with the high levels of radiation kicking off those binaries she'll have 20 minutes until her dna starts to unravel like noodles like noodles (laughs) and it just feels exactly like the like passing over actual science language that trek has been relying on for all of its history and i love it so much absolutely also like on on this rewatch it really struck me and i know you've said something similar before we started recording but it really struck me how much um, their dynamic is like Spock and Bones. Yeah. Um, Saru and Burnham. both kind of serious. Saru and Burnham. Like she's like logical and he's more emotional, except his emotion is like fear. Mm-hmm. He's also very logical, but it's, they have this like, they are both the captain's favorite and they hate each other. Yes. Yes. It's exactly that <laughs> And they that are sniping at each other. And you really start to get into like, oh, this is what the show is going to be. Like, it's this badass lady captain who knows everything and can get herself off of 
a planet when they're stranded and have no communicators. Mm-hmm. And uh, then these two officers who hate each other and we're just going to get some classic Trek jabbing back and forth. And that's what the show is. Um, but it's not. But it feels very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also noticing how a lot of the sounds were very nostalgic. Like there was that weird submarine like woo thing you know like the boing Mm -hmm. maybe we'll we'll put in a clip of that you know the but the sound that's in the original series is like happening in the background based on initial readings i would say the relay doesn't appear to have been damaged naturally i don't like the look of that well keep looking well the comment was figurative i'm expressing concern finish your scan so you can express facts instead the bridge is yours mr saru and then uh, there were a few beats of like pieces of the uh, the next generation or maybe the original series like triumphant music when something would go well. Mm-hmm. There was like a lot of stuff in there that was very Star Trek mm-hmm. and they were just like hitting us with nostalgia. And then um, I don't know, I missed it all like yeah. three years ago or yeah. two years ago when it came out. And I think I think a lot of people and ourselves included missed it because the you're kind of distracted from a a little bit from the aesthetics like the aesthetics are very much it discovery and I think they're unique within the Trek universe until I don't know until maybe Picard comes along Mm -hmm. um but and you're also distracted by I think because it's two women who are really like driving the action yeah um and so you can be misled into thinking that those other things that are super nostalgic that are definitely in there are just missing. So um, I am really glad that we're doing this rewatch because I've really kind of changed a lot of my opinion about this series. Yeah. Um, and it's making me really excited for season three. It, it's fun. I'm still not sold on these new Klingons, but they don't bother me as much this time. I stick by my, like, it's too much makeup and teeth. And it, like, I understand why they were inclined to have them speaking only Klingon for the whole time. And I think it was a bad choice. Yeah. Also, okay, I I also haven't fact-checked this, but um, I met somebody at a wedding who told me that they were speaking movie Klingon and not TV show Klingon. And I wasn't, sh- I didn't really realize there was a difference, but apparently among the fans, there's a difference in the dialects and they're speaking movie Klingon, not TV Klingon. So that's, you know, even more other things for other nerds to get mad about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love this, it. This was the guy who was dressed at Spock at our friend's wedding. Who told? Oh me that. my god. Okay, I trust. I trust yeah, that I trust he him, knows right? what he's talking about. If yes. You're, if you're gonna dress in a Star Trek uniform to a wedding, I feel like you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, Credibility high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another thing that I wanted to talk about in this episode is like. Burnham's decision to mutiny effectively to like Vulcan neck pinch Giorgio in order to take command and attempt to fire on the Klingon ship 
is when I first watched it, I was like, well, she's right. Everybody should be listening to her. And in this watch, I was really struck by how much that was a response that was informed by the traumatic events of her youth. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think just to give sort of because I've been thinking about like why did we assume that she was right and it's like well one she's like the main character pretty obviously mm-hmm. um, and she seems really smart and I think at, th- at this point in the show it's been established that she was raised on Vulcan mm-hmm. and I think we are also falling into like the Vulcans are always right kind of trap so much Yes. Because she got that information. So the information she got was that we should shoot the other ship first. Mm -hmm. That's the Vulcan hello. It's how the Vulcans dealt with the Klingons. They did this for like 100 years. And then eventually they were peaceful because they respected each other. It's like, um, I don't know, uh, acting like you're dangerous the first day of prison or something. Yeah. Sounds about like a good assessment of the approach. (laughs) Yeah, and so she gets convinced that this is the only way that they can possibly handle this situation. And when Giorgio says, no, Starfleet does not shoot first, Burnham's like, well, I have to protect my captain. I love this person who has basically assumed the position of my mother in my mind. And so I will do anything, even defying her explicit orders to like save or protect her. And the rest of the crew, and the rest of the crew, um, but I think that if she hadn't been triggered, if she hadn't been triggered, so the traumatic events of her youth revolve around Klingons. Mm-hmm. She was in the Klingon school, like being quizzed on facts about Klingon the history. Vulcan school. Vulcan school, excuse me, Vulcan school. Thank you. Um, and she like freezes up. And can't answer those questions. And like later we learn that the reason that she froze up is because her parents were killed by Klingons. So she's got this like deep traumatic history with Klingons. She was like one of the only survivors of an attack on a colony. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just that her parents were killed. I think she witnessed it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like she was there during the attack. And... uh, yeah, and so she's like flashback. She's having a flashback, like not just to what happened to her parents, but to like another time that she had a flashback. Mm-hmm. So we, we get the idea that this has been a trauma that she's been struggling to cope with, yeah, her whole life. And everything else she does on the ship is like erratic. Yes, uh, like the way that she's arguing with the captain, even before she neck pinches her. The captain, like, takes her aside and is like, you cannot question me like that in front of other people. So she's, like, already being inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Which, again, I'm not sure if the show handled well, because we're kind of used to people acting kind of inappropriate in Star Trek, I think. Which is, like, another reason you might write it off. Yeah, I think we're used to people, like, having the courage of their convictions and then being right yes and when and like because they're right it kind of justifies like bending the rules Uh uh-huh classic kirk classic yes and so when she's i mean one of the things about this is that 
it doesn't really matter whether she's right or wrong because the Klingons were making this plan well before she even came along. And so basically whatever she did probably wouldn't have made a difference to whether or not this war was going to happen. Right. Um, But she does defy her captain. And right before she does that neck pinch, she says, I may not be acting myself. Yeah. So even she like kind of acknowledges that she's doing something that is Mm -hmm. out of character. Um, And it's it's definitely informed by this trauma. And I think it's also informed by her internalized racism or Vulcan superiority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you speak more on that? Yeah. So I think throughout Star Trek... There has been this theme that Vulcans are superior to humans, or at least that Vulcans consider themselves superior to humans. For sure. And as a human who was raised on Vulcan, who was taught by experience, by her education, um, by her family situation, like all of these inputs telling her that that is the truth, that Vulcans are superior to humans and that logic is, like, superior to emotion in all cases, um, that she... that she uses... she... she uses logic to justify what her emotional reaction is telling her to do. Mm Mm-hmm. So she can't really even see that it is an emotional reaction. She denies that it's an emotional reaction um, because she's, like, got this mindset that logic is superior, Vulcans are superior. She has to do what the Vulcans had done with the Klingons because of that superiority. And it, like, throughout the rest of the season... And I think as we go forward, we really see how her Vulcan upbringing and this notion that she can't be emotional, otherwise she's, like, choosing to live as an inferior being, like, gets in the way of her at many turns. Yeah. But in this case, like, more broadly, this notion that the Vulcans are superior to humans is interesting to me because I think I I think it's a way to address white supremacy or like the way that white supremacy is ingrained so much in culture that you don't even see it mm. and that is reflected by how ingrained in the Trek universe Vulcans are considered superior by Vulcans and non-Vulcans alike. I'm trying to remember if it was this episode if it was one of these two episodes or a later one where um, someone calls her out about being racist, they were like, I'm surprised that you hold these views considering your personal background. I think it was this episode. I think she was saying that there's, yeah, that she was saying something kind of xenophobic against Klingons Mm. and, uh, The Admiral was trying to remind her that she's a black woman. (laughs) The ideal outcome for any Klingon interaction is battle. They're relentlessly hostile, sir. 
It's in their nature. The Federation and the Klingon Empire have always been on the cold side of war. We've had only fleeting run-ins with them for a century, and now you presume to know their motivation because it is in their nature? Considering your background, I would think you're the last person to make assumptions based on race. Which I don't even... I'm not even sure that, like, that's how she first conceives of herself. I think she first conceives of herself as, like, a human, Vulcan, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he's trying to be like, your people were discriminated against. Why are you being prejudiced? Mm -hmm. Which, again, she's blinded by her trauma. I mean, I don't know if you looked up more about trauma and trauma response. Um, but another thing that I thought supported that perspective on her behavior is... Even after she commits mutiny, she can't really explain why she did it. Mm -hmm. um, when she's talking to Captain Giorgio later, um, she says something along the lines of like, was it my logic? Was it my emotions? Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, she can't explain why she was behaving that way, only that she had to save her. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's echoed throughout the series when uh, or throughout the season, I guess when it gets brought up again that she's not exactly sure why she made those decisions she only knew that she had to right uh which feels very on her and very unvulcan absolutely um because after it's all over she can clearly see that it was a mistake yeah and she does like you know she ends up pleading guilty she ends up being very remorseful for how she behaved and one of the things that you thought was interesting is how many people really blame her for the war yes it doesn't make any fucking sense to me it doesn't make any sense to me um it's starting to make more because every time i rewatch it i'm like wait what okay i maybe i missed it so we're gonna watch it again because i used to think like oh it's because she committed mutiny because I was like, oh, she's the mutineer and she caused the war. So I was like, okay, she committed mutiny and the thing she was going to do is fire on the other ship. But she didn't fire on the other ship. She didn't. They stopped her. She didn't. So I'm like, okay. And I guess usually in Star Trek they can tell when you're aiming weapons at them. So like maybe that was enough. I don't know. But maybe it's because she stabbed the other Klingon when she was down on the artifact, which was also a mistake. Um... But, I, like, I guess that was the event that started the war, is that she stabbed that other Klingon. Uh, and that's sort of apart from her mutiny. Yeah. Um, so, like, maybe that's what people are blaming it on. That was the only thing that made sense in this rewatching. But people tend to conflate the two. They're like, you're the mutineer. You killed my sister. And I'm like, did she? Yeah, it's very... It, it feels like people really wanted a scapegoat and she was a convenient one because of her high profile mutiny they actually say at one point that she's the first person who's ever committed mutiny in all of starfleet which k <laughs> feels a little unlikely yeah i think i think so i was trying to remember i i feel like when we discussed this a few years ago there were like i was like didn't date well so data commits mutiny at one point although like it's not his fault because like dr soong takes over his brain and then data takes over the ship oh with like the homing beacon 
Yeah. Mm, and then, oh, right. Yes. And I just keep being like, didn't other people do that? And it was always like they were possessed by someone and then it was okay later. Um, and <laughs> right. I guess, I guess that's not the same, but I feel like it often gets written off or like. Yeah, it definitely gets excused. Yeah. It gets like pe- people don't lose their jobs. They certainly don't get sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, and I know that this is actually not something that we talked about when we were prepping for this episode, but I find it really interesting that she does get sentenced to life imprisonment. To me, life imprisonment really feels antithetical to the universe that Star Trek has defined. Mm. What do you think they would do, right? Because they're not going to kill her. They're not going to kill her. I think that they would... it's treason. I think that they would try to rehabilitate her. I think that... I mean, Star Trek doesn't really have a lot of history of talking about what happens to people who have, like Starfleet officers who have been sentenced to committing some kind of crime. Um, It's just really not part of the conversation ever. Um, But I feel like the gay space utopia that we all love is, I guess, at least in my headcanon, like functions from a restorative justice practice. Yeah. And that instead of life in prison, there's like an avenue towards rehabilitation, which would take into account her her childhood trauma and like aim to heal that yeah. so that she would be able to return to service without the likelihood of being triggered. I mean, that makes sense. I We, we have seen sort of like mental health facilities that people are uh, confined to at a few points in track. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like some genetically modified people in Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, and I don't know, some other, some people who were like being abused by their doctors in the original series uh, are also on like a, like an institution ship. Um, but those are people with mental problems, mm-hmm. uh, mental health problems, uh, which we could argue she has, but that's certainly not why she's being sentenced. Right. And I think that there's like that, that kind of distinguishes between mental illness and criminality Mm-hmm. which is a whole can of worms where there's like a pretty pretty solid argument that criminality is informed by mental illness and your like position in the social hierarchy poverty being a really high uh informer of whether or not somebody will commit a crime um i don't really want to get too deeply into that <laughs> oof <laughs> I can't get into this. This is like, this is like almost triggering of like moral philosophy conversations I had in law school. Mm-hmm. So there's my there's my trauma coming up. <laughs> of like, I don't know if I want to discuss this. 
<laughs> I'm sure I could prep to discuss it on a different episode. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a topic of interest that, yeah, we can talk about later. It's just, it's on my mind right now because of Breonna Taylor and the calls to, mm. like, imprison the officers who shot her and the fact that they're like barely even being indicted they're definitely not indicted for her murder like blah 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 it sucks and um uh at least in some channels in my social media milieu there's a question about well why if we are people who are calling for the abolition of police and prisons do we want the police to be imprisoned oh man you're in some more radical circles than me <laughs> uh, i'm in the circles who keep insisting that defund does not mean abolish it just means give them less money like that's what i keep reading so well that's true uh yeah yeah can we talk about michelle Yeoh's career oh my god yes <laughs> thank I you for pulling to... this up sorry this <laughs> I don't want to have you to have to write a bunch of citations about Brianna Taylor when and also it's just very it's very very sad. I'm still sad about it. I I can't really talk about it. I get that. Uh yeah, so I just wanted to talk about how badass Michelle Yeoh is and um you know, I I don't exactly know who all of our listeners are, but if you're on the younger side, you might not know her from that many things, but mm. she's actually like been in everything (laughs) so like what i knew her from was crouching tiger hidden dragon and what a lot of other people know her from right now is being the bitchy mom and crazy rich asians um yeah which i think was actually one of her more rare career roles of like not being in an action role she's been in a ton of kung fu stuff um, she originally trained to be a ballerina or a ballet dancer, hmm. I think is the better way to say that, and had a back injury um, like right out of high school and then couldn't go into that. So she decided to become an actress hmm. and having this being very in like very good shape and having this background in choreography, she was able to easily go into uh, martial arts acting. And she was also a Bond girl at some point in the 90s. So (laughs) I thought... Amazing. Yeah. And it's so... She is such a wonderful actress. And it was really exciting to see her. And I remember thinking that she was going to be the captain for the series. Yes. Um, Because, like, why why wouldn't she be? And it's like, if anyone could pull it up, if you could just, like, pick any, like, older or middle-aged woman and be like she's a badass you need to trust this like it would be michelle yo because like Mm -hmm. i we've seen her in these epic fight scenes in other films like kick people's ass and so you know that if anything happens she's going to be able to throw down and then you basically get through most of these two episodes without any of that happening and you're like oh my gosh um which is why, you know, spoilers, it's less surprising that they bring her back in her uh, other form later on in the series. Right. Yeah, no, I remember being super upset that she dies in the second episode because I immediately got attached to her as captain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
uh, they kill off a female captain like uh, right after the jump and yeah anger um so yeah we haven't had that many female captains we have not and so far burnham's not a captain like a lot of people point to her being at the helm of this show as being like a sign of all of this progress and it, it absolutely is um and at least for the first two seasons of discovery she's not the captain nope the captain's a white guy yep Two white Except guys. for in these first two episodes. Two two white guys. That's true. <laughs> two, two, two different, two quite different handsome white, white guys, but... <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining too much. Um, Gabriel Lorca. Oh, yes. Uh, well, well, we'll meet Lorca in the upcoming episodes. Is there anything else that you had um, that was on our minds for this set of episodes not not really i think were we going to talk about how good sonequa martin green was at acting vulcan in that one flashback Ooh. i don't really know if it's an intertractional intertraction but i mean but just you know at the beginning of episode two she shows up with her flat ironed like vidal sassoon bob kind of vulcan yes. hair it's uh, and she's like doing those little head turns and like it's just very um she she plays a very good Vulcan. She does a beautiful job. Yes, thank you, because like I'd all I all the love to see Nequa Martin Green. I I fucking oh, yeah. love her. I think she's amazing. Yeah. And uh yeah, she really plays that like Vulcan Hutcher like super well in those flash flashback scenes. And like in these episodes and I think throughout the season, she certainly plays that she is a person who has emotions, is uncomfortable with having emotions, is trained to behave as though she doesn't have them. Yes. And is therefore like often super stoic in situations where you know like it's just like the the subtlety of the way that she portrays it. Like you know that she is having an emotional reaction, but she's not. She's very much trying not to show it. Um, and it's just it's it's yeah. Her portrayal of this character is really beautiful. Let me see if there's if I have anything else in my notes. Oh, there is one other thing. So the Klingons at some point talk about why they want to destroy the Federation. And I, I think it's Takuvma who says this, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, he says uh, they come to destroy our individuality. And I felt like it was just such a good encapsulation of like why Americans or like people who consider themselves real Americans are super af- afraid, I guess, of like the diversification of America. Mm. Yeah, it reminded me of those essays um, that we read in that one Star Trek book that was sort of comparing the American melting pot to like the Borg and to the Federation. Yeah. No, or or both. They were like the American melting pot, 
the Borg taking away your individuality? Is the Federation taking away your individuality too? Is the Federation colonial? And they had that whole that whole series of arguments we read when we were researching the Borg episodes. Yeah. And like to the extent that the Federation is colonial, you kind of feel for these guys. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you want to be in the, the salad model of the world where everyone gets to keep their own pieces and not in the melting pot model of the world where everyone assimilates. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, I think that he's not wrong. And maybe it's not so much that they're like, want, that the Federation has it as a desire to quash people's individuality, but it certainly has a, like, a motive to encourage certain like encourage all of the members of the federation to be less warlike um in order to achieve the unity that the federation purports to desire and like performs and for the for klingons what like when we're it's like hammered into our brains that a large part of their culture is being warlike and uh, like a lot of how they define their spirituality revolves around that like the Federation is an understandable threat to that. Um, yeah. So how do we coexist? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to this line of thinking? So I watched another episode that I thought I was going to bring into this discussion and then kind of decided that it didn't really fit because we didn't get super into the Klingons here. Mm. But I did, if you are at all interested in watching Enterprise or just in watching the parts of Enterprise that I recommend, (laughs) um, on Netflix, Enterprise Season 2, Episode 19, the episode Judgment, um, Archer... uh, archers on trial in a klingon court it's like klingon lawyers (laughs) and you get a lot of background into klingon culture so you kind of you hear archer is like wait there are there are classes other than the warrior class and they're like yeah like my dad was a teacher like i'm a lawyer come on like we have other members of society but just over time They've been devalued. Like, it used to be, like, warriors are the best, but we're all important. And now it's, like, uh, only warriors are important to the point where um, their their, uh, criminal prosecution had become warlike. And, like, the defense was just sort of like a – it was like a puppet. It was like a kangaroo court. The defense wasn't very real. Like, only the prosecutor did stuff. Like, everybody always got executed or sent to the dilithium mines. Um Hmm. So this takes place like about a hundred years before Discovery and uh, the original series. So if you just want some more deep Klingon stuff and just like a long meandering kind of philosophical discussion on what's good and bad about Klingon society, that's a good episode to check (laughs) out. Nice. Yeah, I definitely uh, ascribe to the watch random episodes of Enterprise uh, I thank you for watching that and no for giving us a little summary about that because yeah. I think it's I, yeah I mean like obviously this season of Discovery is very driven by what Klingons are doing and how they consider their culture to function and so it's good to understand what um, 
the rest of the history says about that. Yeah, I think it might be. It also might be fun to rewatch, uh, or you and I could rewatch um, the Star Trek movie, the third movie, the one after the Wrath of Khan. Mm. It has like oh, um, it has the the guy from Back to the Future as a Klingon. Uh, Which guy? Christopher something. Christopher Lloyd. Oh. It's Christopher Lloyd oh. as a as a Klingon. There's a lot of Klingonness in that one. Um, nice. I don't remember really anything else of, about it, but that could be a fun deep Klingon watch while we're talking about Discovery um, for you and for the listeners. Cool, sweet, yeah. No, that's actually a, one of the movies that I've never seen. Oh, so, oh yeah. man, yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap up this episode. Cool. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back at you in a month or so and in the meantime enjoy the new season of discovery as it's airing because we're gonna do that yeah yay live long and prosper peace and long life intertractional is a production of federation and fempire written and produced by ryan Ascalazi and becca motola barnes original music by danny kavka Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on PodFan, that is pod.fan slash Intertractional. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Uh, I have All more right. to say about that off microphone. Yeah. <laughs>